0: Amanda Lee Fravel was an 18-year-old living in Las Vegas, Nevada. In 1985, she had moved there from California due to a turbulent home life. On Friday the 13th of June 1986, Mandy left her apartment to get a paycheck from her job. She never reached her destination. She was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. and asked by friends, by the audience during the live show on Wednesday nights, by listeners privately, what got me into this? Unfound, taking an interest in missing persons cases, etc. When I answer, I feel like I let these people down because I'm not sure my response is really that interesting or unique. As I've said many times, I am one of you. I do this for the same reasons all of you listen. It's a combination of us wanting to help people, along with our love of mysteries. And we like to find solutions. For me personally, I got to the point where I decided, why work on crosswords or word jumbles or whatever? Why waste time with those when there are so many real-world mysteries? Well, today, Unfound has a family that needs your help, your problem-solving abilities. Because you're going to hear about a woman who went missing and the former roommate who could be a person of interest in her disappearance. In fact, we could call this a minimum information problem, because the family believes the roommate was using an alias in 1986. We are not sure of the exact address where they lived at the time, and the roommate hasn't been seen since. Can we find him and solve the ultimate puzzle? And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Goodsight, charlieproject.org. In addition, I have to mention that Megan introduced me to today's guest. Mandy Fravel spent her formative years in California. She was a free spirit who would hitchhike with friends. Mandy loved music, and musicians were her favorite type of guy. But due to internal conflicts in her family, she had to move out of her father's house. Then Mandy left her mother's house as well. She then moved to Las Vegas to live with a friend and the friend's new husband. After staying with them for a month, Mandy got her own place. However, with expenses piling up, she answered an ad for a roommate and moved into an apartment somewhere on East Charleston Boulevard. Shortly before her disappearance, and fortunately, things were looking up on the family front. Her mother had sent her a plane ticket to come back to California for a short while. The flight was scheduled for June 14, 1986. So, the day before, on June 13th, Mandy left the place she was sharing with her new roommate, Lou Frank. She was headed to her job, a Taco Bell, on Boulder Highway, where she was to pick up her paycheck. From there, Mandy intended on going to see her ex-boyfriend, Xavier. They remained friends despite the breakup. But she had no car, so she would have to either hitchhike or take a taxi or bus ...for these travels. She never arrived at Taco Bell, nor Xavier's. She was never seen again. Unfound has been able to move the case a bit forward... ...since finding out about it in September of 2017. However, one huge hole in the case remains. Lou Frank, Mandy's roommate. He is the only witness to her movements that day. However, he has seemingly disappeared since 1986. In fact, a member of the Fravel family upon meeting Lou Frank a week after Mandy's disappearance, believed that the name Lou Frank was an alias. The Fravel family is open to all sorts of possibilities regarding Mandy's disappearance, but they fear the worst. The interview for this episode is with Mandy's sister, Melissa Fravel. Unfound news. Not that it was my fault or under my control, But I understand many of you had problems downloading the Thomas Brown episode last Friday. This was not an issue with either the file or anything on your end. The issue was iTunes asked my podcast company, Podomatic, to change the format of their RSS feed. And that's where the issue started. I believe they are fixed now. However, if you are still having problems, please let me know. I continue to say that the surest way to listen to Unfound in which you'll get the best audio quality as well, is to download the free Podomatic app and listen that way. Next, I guess the bizarre part about the download problems we had last week was that somehow Unfound for the first time became the number one popular program on Podomatic at the same time. Go figure. I continue to say, I do the program, all of you are who make it number one. But this is also why I've always said I have no idea how iTunes or Podomatic or Stitcher or any other podcast app service determines what their top 10 or top 20 or top 200 podcasts are. No idea. But to be sure, you've made Unfound number one. Next, the third news item. If you don't know, last Friday, June 15th, I did an interview with a local radio station in Perryton, Texas. K-X-D-J concerning the disappearance of Thomas Brown last week's episode. I urge you to go to Unfound's YouTube channel to listen to what I had to say. Finally, at the end of this episode you will hear my interview with Stephen Huba once again from triblive.com. He and I worked together on the disappearance of Robert Allison. He disappeared from Pittsburgh in 1994. That article will be coming out this Sunday at triblive.com and in print editions of the Tribune Review in Pittsburgh. Where you can find Unfound? Unfound is on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, iTunes, Podomatic, Stitcher, Podbean, and Spotify. In particular, check out Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern when I do the Facebook live show that can be found on the Unfound podcast page. The email address, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. The website, unfoundpodcast.com. Please check out the secret Stephen Kocher episode. The website at dot Trib triblive.com, forward slash news, forward slash unfound. Unfound has Patreon and PayPal accounts. Your contributions provide for many of the items guests have received so far. I cannot thank all of Unfound supporters enough. This week, I need to thank Anne, Kimberly, and Sarah. Unfound Merchandise, Volumes 1, 2, and 3 on Amazon in both paperback and ebook form. Let's work on trying to get some great reviews for Volumes 2 and 3. If you've bought them, please give them a nice review. The Playing Cards, go to makeplayingcards.com forward slash sell forward slash unfoundpodcast. Shirts for almost all of Unfound's cases can be found at myshopify.com. Just do a search for Unfound. And please mention Unfound on all True Crime Facebook pages and other websites and forums. Thank you. I'm so fortunate to have on this episode of Unfound, the sister of Mandy Fravel, Melissa Fravel. Melissa, welcome to Unfound.
1: Hello. How are you?
0: Uh, I'm doing good. How are you doing, Melissa?
1: I'm doing well. I'm just excited to finally have my opportunity to talk to you.
0: Yeah, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. Uh, The listeners know that I lived in Las Vegas for 13 and a half years, so anytime I can uh, cover a case from my former uh, home, uh, I'm excited to do that, so I appreciate you being on the program.
1: Great, great.
0: Tell the listeners a little bit about your older sister, Mandy, and maybe let's start here. Do you have any other siblings uh, besides Mandy?
1: I have one other sibling. Um, He's my younger brother. His name is Brady. Um, Mm -hmm. He is about, he's eight years different, or younger than I am, so um, needless to say, me and Mandy were really close in age, Mm -hmm. even though she's my older sister, so we were really tight, real close. Uh,
0: And how, maybe we should be specific on that. Uh, How close were you in age?
1: Well, I always, I always thought, because I never counted, I always thought we were like a year and a half apart. Mm-hmm. But come to find out, we're, we were two and a half years apart.
0: Two and a half years apart. So uh, you, she was uh, roughly 20 years old when she disappeared. So you were like 17 or something like that when she disappeared.
1: 1986 well yeah i was it was um i was still 16 at the time i I had okay just barely yeah i had actually just barely turned 16 which disappeared okay
0: um yeah all right and so when she was of course still in california and we'll talk about how she moved from california to las vegas what do you remember what did you share with her i mean you're like you said about two and a half three years difference in age did you Sarah, like, say like same music interests or clothes? What was your relationship
2: like? Well,
1: well, the thing is, is my sister, um, I always said sister slash mom because my mom wasn't around most of my life. And so Mandy was the only female figure in my life that I was close to at the time. She was, she was my, my sister, my mom, my protector, um, uh, my everything. I looked up to her, you know, uh-huh um, She was my security, you know, because we we grew up in a household that was really topsy-turvy, you know, Mm. um, unstable household. So she was always the one thing in my life that was stable, stability in my eyes, you know. So, yeah, she, um, Mm. I I loved everything that she did. I tried to tag along and be with her all the time. She loved music. I loved music, Um, clothes, hair, (laughs) you name it, Uh you know. So, yeah, we would, Mm -hmm. you know, we, I remember playing with Med Pies together. That's, (laughs) we just did everything together.
0: Mm -hmm. And you you were too a child of the eighties, just like I am. In fact, you and I are very close uh, in age. We we've discovered. So I I probably could identify with probably a lot of the things that you uh, two girls were into back in the eighties, in the mid eighties. Right.
1: Right. Okay. Well, the thing is with, well, that's where the difference is started to go. Um, she was into rock and roll and I liked rock and roll too, but then I got into punk rock. So I was like, in her eyes, I was more of the crazy little sister. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Yeah. Okay.
0: And I think we'll get to that when we get to this, uh, when we talk about you visiting her, uh, in Las Vegas a little bit, maybe that, uh, we can explain that a little later, but, um, she went to high school, uh, you know, graduated or did she have like a job in high school, anything like that?
1: Not, no, not that I, re- I can recall, um, you know, but then again, you know, the differences in age at, when she was in high school, I was still junior high. Um, that's, mm-hmm. I don't remember her ever having a job. Um, she was always going out with her friends. She had a lot of friends. So mm-hmm. that's when the tagging long stopped. <laughs> I wasn't mm-hmm. allowed to go.
0: <laughs> right. You, yeah, you got to be maybe a little, a bit of a third wheel or something like that. You know, right, went, right, sure of course that happens uh yeah of course and maybe it takes a few years to get used to that and then you're that age and then you understand that um
1: right.
0: okay um so she graduated high school did she, um...
1: you know she she was going to a continuation um we you know i have graduation pictures for her that i don't remember her ever walking down the aisle and mm. getting her graduation um I think at that time, she had actually gotten kicked out of the house at that point before Um, that happened.
0: Okay. Um, Maybe we can just touch upon that. Once again, I'm not sure how much it – I don't think it has anything to do with the disappearance, but being that you brought it up, maybe just in a few short sentences, can you explain why that happened?
1: Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, From what I can recall, my dad was in rehab. He was in a a residential rehab. and so it was just me and my sister and my dad's girlfriend who turned out to be his wife in the end. Um, and at that time, my sister didn't like these different women that have been in and out of our lives. Most of our life, she had reached her straw with these women telling us what to do. And so I remember them get, getting into a verbal you know, disagreement and my dad's wife kicking her out of the house uh, while my dad was in rehab. Mm-hmm. And, that's when everything kind of led led to the end. You know? She kicked yeah. her out of the house and my my sister never came back. She asked and, me to come with her and I, I didn't go.
0: <laughs> and where did Mandy go when she got kicked out of the house?
1: Oh, she had a few high school friends that she was staying with, um off and on, but then eventually wound up down with my mom in Gilroy, California.
0: And so you didn't get to see as much of her. That had to be sad for you. No,
1: I I yeah, I was on my own. Basically, I felt like I was on my own. Um it was a real tough time. Yeah. Huh. I um yeah, I went through a lot of changes during those that year without my sister, so. Mm-hmm.
0: What year do you think that was? Do you think that was like 1984?
1: Maybe? Yes, I I believe it was 1984 because I I was about 14. Yeah, and I I didn't want to leave my dad because he he was also I lived with my dad all my life, you know. Mm-hmm. Even though he was in rehab, I knew he was coming home. You know, so mm-hmm. I didn't want to. I didn't want to leave. And she asked me to go, and I, I. To this day, I still regret not going. Because I felt like, you know, then she ended up dis- being you know gone after that. Out of my life, pretty much.
0: Yeah. So there was some yeah. turmoil going on there in like the mid eighties, nineteen eighty three, nineteen eighty four. You know, she uh, gets kicked out of the house, uh, goes somewhere else. Um, you know, during that time, I mean, of course, there was no Internet, no Facebook, anything like that. I mean, do you think that you talked to her on the phone once in a while or what do you
2: think? Um,
1: well, at first, at first, before she moved down with my mom, um, I remember she had written me a letter. Um, it was a nice long letter letting me know she was OK. And then I saw her one other time before she went to my mom. Um, but when she, when she made it down to Gilroy, I really didn't talk to her after that. Um, she, she met new friends and, you know, she's a child of the eighties also. Yeah. So,
0: did she, do you remember of course moving and everything? And did she, um, I mean, people are going to see pictures of her, attractive young woman. Did she have a, a, a boyfriend or anything like that that yeah, she left she, behind? She did or, have
1: yeah. a boyfriend. Well, she mm-hmm. had a boyfriend. I know, um, my, the boyfriend she left behind here in, up, well, up by Santa Rosa, I just barely found out that he had passed away um, before my sister left. He had, he had passed away um, he, from some illness. So I just found this out a few days ago. It was kind of a shocker to me. Huh. And from, from what I understand, um, it changed my sister. Um, I didn't even know any of this until just the other day. Oh, wow. I'm going to change my sister, and so anyway, to make a long story short, she moved down with my mom. I, I think she had a hard time with this death. She down with my mom, and, and shortly after, oh, maybe a little time after that, she ended up you know, starting to see somebody else from Santa Cruz. So okay. Another rock, another musician, you know.
0: She was into musicians and we that's that was a theme that continued in Las Vegas as we found out as well. She liked guys who played guitar or whatever else.
1: Right. Okay. She was heavily into rock.
0: Okay. Um, what do you think brought about her decision to move to Las Vegas?
1: <laughs> because she went from one dysfunctional household to another when she moved to Felroy. My mom's household was just as dysfunctional as my dad's was. Um, Mm -hmm. And once again, she had a disagreement with my mom's husband this time instead of my dad's wife. This was my mom's husband. And he ended up putting her out of the house. She had to go. She had to go. And I believe she didn't have any place to go really, um, you know, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: except for with a a high school friend of hers.
0: Right. And we're going to. Yeah. Yeah. So Um, decided to move to Las Vegas. Um, and this friend, I, I believe, had moved there first. And um, we're just going to refer to her friend by her first name. Her name is Cami, C A M I, but we're not going to use her last name, whether her maiden name or her married name. We're just going to go by her first name to protect her privacy. But um, you believe that um, Mandy moved to Las Vegas once again, got kicked out of the house. And so that was her next move right right exactly how did you How do you remember finding out? Did she tell you she was going there before she did, or did you not know that she went there until after when she was already there? I
1: didn't know i I didn't find out until she was already gone. Um, I went to go stay with my mom for the summer and to see my sister, and my sister wasn't there at that point um she was already she had already moved, so yeah. Okay. I didn't even talk to her. She didn't let me know. I felt abandoned again, yeah. you know? Yeah. So.
0: so how did when did you uh, finally talk to her? Did she send you a letter? Did you get her address? Um, how did you two finally communicate?
1: Actually, I, I never actually even myself never talked to her. She was calling and talking to my mom, come to find out, but I, I never talked with her. Um, <laughs> Except for one other time, since she left my dad's, uh, since she left Santa Rosa, um, mm-hmm. I talked to her only one other time, and that's when I saw her personally in Vegas.
0: Yeah, how do in you Vegas. look at that? Do you think that she was, uh, you two were close at one time? Do you think that she was just embarrassed to tell you that? Did she not want to, or what do you, what do you, how do you look back on uh, that now? You
1: know, I don't know. It's, it's really, it's a bitter pill to swallow. I feel like she had actually got her feelings hurt that I didn't leave with her when she had initially asked me to go.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: and because of that, I, I didn't, you know, I only spoke to her a few times until her disappearance, you know? So a lot of me, a lot of my guilt is by me not going with her. Um, Mm -hmm. because I thought we were close. We were close my whole life until then. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like I said, I I I didn't understand that why she wouldn't contact me or talk to me or, or anything. She she never said that she didn't want to talk to me. She never told anybody that. It's just she didn't. I I didn't fit into her schedule. I guess I don't know.
0: Okay. Now she did move to Las Vegas, and we've been able to. Um, the listeners should know that I've had an opportunity to talk to on the uh, actually over not on the phone, but over messenger with her friend, Cammy. Um And we'll get into that uh, a lot later, how we were uh, um, able to track her down. But uh, she was able to fill in some of these blanks that um, she believes that Amanda, Amandy moved to Las Vegas in late October to early November of 1985. So she disappeared in June of 86. She wasn't even there a year, but, you know, and some of these things, uh, the listeners should know, you didn't find out until afterwards, but, um, what did you find out? She moves to Las Vegas. She's living with Cami. Maybe you can explain what you've le- learned about um, Mandy living there and anything else.
1: Okay. Well, as far as I see, I had always thought that, um, Cammy and Mandy, you know, I, I, did, I never realized that Cami was married, um, and had a baby. She was a new mother. I come to mm-hmm. find out she was a new mother before my sister moved there.
2: Mm-hmm. So that
1: changes the whole dynamics of, of the household with her staying there. Obviously, sure. it would have been temporary, you know, very temporary. So,
2: sure.
1: Um, I just, you know, I had found out that my sister went from staying with Cammie to staying on her own and then in, in her own apartment and then from there staying with somebody else. Um, right. Yeah, so that, that was all I knew.
0: So what else have you learned? Did she get a job when she went to Las Vegas? Um, what was she doing there uh, You know, for money?
1: The only job that I knew that she had had was Taco Bell. Um, she was living in Vegas and working at a Taco Bell, not, not far from where she was staying, from what I understand. Um, but that was all I knew. But come to find out, she had a job prior to that, too. And it was something to do with, with her, her friend, Cammy. And her friend, and her friend Cammie's husband. I guess they had a business. Um, so she went from working there then to Taco Bell.
0: Okay, and Taco I don't know Bell. How she did. Right, and Taco Bell is going to play a role here in a moment. Now, somebody else who entered her life at some point uh, while she was there, uh, she had a boyfriend while she was there. This guy, Xavier, he is something somebody who you've gotten to talk to recently. I've had an opportunity to talk to him as well um what what uh has he told you about uh their relationship uh while she was there since you've gotten to talk to him?
1: Well, from what he says, he was in love with my sister um that she was really a just a really outgoing um energetic uh person that she filled the room with light when she walked in she was somebody that you know attracted people to her. Um, I, I, you know, I don't know what it, it was about her, but she really did have that, that personality that just attracted people to her because she was really kind. But anyway, he, he fell in love with her. Um, he was, he, he's a musician as well. So mm-hmm. I'm sure that was an attraction for her to him. Yep. Um, You know, he, he seems to have come from a pretty good home. He, you know, he was, living with his mom and dad, uh, when he met my sister. So, you know, I guess my sister seemed probably like more of the wild child to him, I guess. Um, but they were the mm-hmm. same age, you know, yeah. but that's, I don't know too much more than that, you know, yeah. about him.
0: Now what's interesting though, is at some point, wow, we're not sure who, you know, there's a discrepancy here because once again, this is over 30 years later, people remember things differently. You went to see Mandy in Las Vegas. I guess your younger brother went with you and you actually got to meet Xavier at that time. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about that trip and um, what do you remember about it?
1: Well, the the trip itself started off on shaky ground. The only reason we even got to go see my sister, it wasn't planned out, is because my mom took me and my brother here in California to Disneyland. And I guess from what she says, we were fighting so much that she decided she had had enough and pulled over the nearest airport and said, "We're going. You're going to see your sister in Vegas." <laughs> so we flew out there unexpectedly. Um, and what I I remember was, um, you know, she had an apartment. I thought it was her her own apartment, but she had a roommate, obviously too.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: never saw the the I never saw the roommate, but I did meet Xavier, and he never left. Xavier never left my sister's side. Um, They took us to Circus Circus together, um, and they took, I remember them both coming to the the airport in a taxi to pick us up, and both, you know, she was real adamant about when we flew out of Vegas that we didn't go in the taxi by herself. There's something that stuck in my head, I'll never forget. She was just real adamant, and I think she had words with Xavier about it, and she ended up going, yeah, so she ended up going to the airport, that's right, by herself to take me and my brother back. Okay. Um, yeah. He wanted to send us in the taxi alone and she was real adamant about us going with her, to, mm-hmm. you know, to the airport. Um, but I don't re- really remember anything else about him. Nothing really stood out. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing. I didn't get any kind of odd, you know, feelings with him. But that, sure. you know, like I said, we were young.
0: How how many days do you think you were there in Las Vegas to see?
1: Uh, two days, two days max. It was okay. just a really short trip.
0: Okay, and she took you to Circus um, Circus, which I think back at the time in the '80s would have been a pretty cool place. Uh, you know, for kids to go. Right. These days, you know, Circus Circus I think is showing its age a little bit and has been for a while. But back then, I think that would have been uh, pretty cool. And in fact, maybe yeah. this is kind of something funny that. Uh, Xavier, I think, eventually remembered you, and you had blue hair at the time.
1: Right, <laughs> right. Um, see, when I right um, <laughs> recently, well, actually, a, a couple years ago, we we tracked Xavier down ourselves through the, huh? um, you know, through the, the yellow pages, actually, or something. This was right before the cell phones were so popular, um, and I spoke with him. You know, he was willing to talk to me, and when I mentioned who I was, though, you know, of course, it it shocked him like crazy, but then. He said he he never recalled uh, my sister even having a sister, a younger sister. And I was I was thinking to myself, I've met you. How could you not remember me? Mm-hmm. You know, I had blue hair, and I guess the blue hair is what you know sparked his memory. Um, yeah, because I I was into punk rock music, so I had blue hair, um, and that's what he remembers about mm-hmm. me. So.
0: Right. But, right, right, but and we're yeah. and, and something else. You and I have talked, and the people should know. I mean, listeners, I haven't mentioned this yet, but you and I have been talking since maybe last September. You know, we've kind of right. been working on this here and there, and trying to track down a couple things here and there. Uh, so this uh, episode, you know, has taken a little while to put together, and of course, I'm, I'm ultimately happy uh, that you're joining me on this episode. So we've had a chance to talk some of these things out, but. Uh, if I can ask, do you remember maybe the time, if she was there from, let's say, late October 85, disappearing June 1986, do you have any idea of what time of the year in there that you might have gone out to, to Vegas? Do you remember?
1: Well, I I was thinking, you know, because it had to have been during the school vacation. So I'm, I'm thinking it was a spring break or mm-hmm. possibly Christmas, but I doubt that. Uh, something's telling me not Christmas. So I'm thinking it more March.
0: March of 86 Maybe. and right. do you do yourself, like three or four months before she disappeared? Do you remember Mandy being in a good mood? Did she be, did she seem happy to be in Las Vegas? Did she ever say to you, you know, I want to move back to California, anything like that?
1: No, it, that's, you know, it's, it's kind of strange you ask that because I was sitting here thinking, you know, she seemed, she didn't seem that happy. And I remember in her apartment, it was real dark. Um, it was like, you know, the curtains closed all the time. Um, just seemed real dark. Uh, and like I said, I never met the roommate. I know there was a roommate, but I never met him.
0: Yeah. And he's going to play a prominent part, uh, in this whole uh, discussion once we get into it, because he is the mystery man, uh, of this, uh, whole disappearance, but you never got to meet him. Do you remember her ever even talking about him
1: at all? Um, No. Not mm. to me. Okay. All right. It was. Okay. A, it was. It was. It, they were real. I just remember Xavier and my sister being kind of, you know, pretty protective of me and my brother there. Um, yeah. But that was it. Okay.
0: Yeah. So let's just. Uh, I'll refresh uh, this uh, part so far. What we've covered very quickly. So she goes to Las Vegas late October, early November, eighty-five. She lives with her friend Cami. Uh, with Cammie, her husband, but Cammie's a new mother. She's there, uh, we believe, for about a month or something like that. She moves out, and for any Las Vegas people, she's living on East Tropicana, somewhere in that area, which I'm very familiar with, being that I lived on East Tropicana uh, for a few years when I lived in Las Vegas. Then she moved out onto Boulder Highway, living by herself. And then eventually, it seems for at least the last couple months... She's living with this guy who we've come to now know as Lou Frank. And once again, we'll get to that in a bit. But she ended up living somewhere on Charleston, on East Charleston, we believe, somewhere. So three different places over the course of about, um, let's say, eight months. And you believe that she was living with this guy, Lou Frank, when you went uh, to see her, but you never met him. Um, let's move on to this. So she's working at Taco Bell. She has Xavier as a boyfriend. What did you, what have you learned the movements of Mandy the day that she disappeared? What do we know about that day? What have you, can you run that down for the listeners, please?
1: What I was, what I was always told was that my sister was going to be coming back to California to visit my mom. Um, I didn't know if it was a permanent thing or just a visit or, or was she moving back to California? I never got that, that answer. Um, So my mom had already sent my sister a plane ticket, um, you know, to come back home. And so I know on the day of her disappearance, I was always thinking she went to Taco Bell to pick up her last paycheck. um, And then to come back home, I I didn't know if she was going to be getting a ride with her boyfriend to the airport or what, but, She never made it to Taco Bell, so, and that's all I I was ever told.
0: That's that's the last thing that you were ever told. Now we we've learned some more details since then, but maybe we should talk about her going to be flying back to California. Does what was the occasion going to be? Was there going to be? Was there a specific reason, just a general reason, that she was going back to California in June of eighty six?
1: Well, because like I had said before, my her and my mom they spoke on the phone more often than I ever knew about. Mm-hmm. So the reasons I'm sure was my mom dismissing my sister. Um, because I was never told anything different and I've asked her. Um and from what she under what she can remember, her memory's not the same either. Mm-hmm. Um, is that she was just she just wanted her to come home. You know. My mom is familiar with Nevada and how the the nightlife is, mm-hmm. so she just, you know, she was always worrying about her, and she just wanted her to mm. come home.
0: Even though she got kicked out of the house just the year before,
1: right, right, exactly. And that's that's thing. My sister, my sister would I don't think she would have looked forward to coming back to California. Uh, she would have mm. came back just to see my mom. But she, mm. I'm sure, she didn't want to step foot back into that environment.
0: Okay. Yeah. Because, um, okay, so you thinking, you're thinking you thinking that if she was going to back to California, it was just going to be for a little while, and then she was going to go right back to Las Vegas. Right. Okay. Okay. So we have this story, and this story comes from, once again, the mysterious man, and listeners will find out why we call him mysterious, but she... Uh, was going to get her last paycheck. We don't know how she was going to get down there because, of course, she didn't own a car. But then, um, you know, in talking, you've had an opportunity to talk to Xavier. I've had an opportunity. Uh, He claims that she was supposed to go over and see him that night, and she never showed up.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah, and he, he remembers that one night specifically, but he doesn't remember much else.
0: Right. Okay. So she uh, never does make it to Taco Bell. We don't know what the, the true story is. But when does your family figure out that something
1: has gone wrong? What, well, what? I, it, was a, it was about a, a week, and my my sister didn't show up, and my mom was calling and calling um, anybody she could. I don't think she had very many contacts to call, but she was mm-hmm. calling Cammie. Um, and also calling where my, my sister was living and getting nowhere. Um, so I always thought it was about two weeks after she disappeared, but I think it was a little less before it was official that my sister was missing, but that's still a long time.
0: Yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. And so, uh, what happens, uh, once again, she's supposed to, I mean, the, the day after, so in June 14th, she was actually supposed to fly back. She's not on that flight. Your mother's worried. She's calling, trying to figure out. Once again, we have to put this in 1980s terms. You just can't. No cell phones, no internet, nothing. And your mother has maybe two phone numbers, Cammie's and where Mandy was living. So eventually, though, you're an adult. (laughs) Yeah, and she's an adult and she can do what she wants. That's exactly right. Thank you for pointing that out. But your mother and uh, was it your stepfather? Did they end up coming to Las Vegas or going to Las Vegas?
1: Yes, yes, they did. And and I, I'm not actually sure if it was more more than just them two. But my mom went out first, and then Tom, you know, followed within a day. He he made his way out there. They met up with Xavier um, and Cami, of course, and mm. they went over to my sister's apartment where she was she was living. And talk to Lou Franks, if that's his name. Right.
2: And,
1: you know, they got a really, really bad feeling with this guy. Okay. So.
0: Um, what did the guy, what did the guy say? What have you learned that he said? Well,
1: from what I, what I've learned from, <laughs> I've gotten a couple different stories, but um, one of them was that my sister had left the house um, in a bathing suit. Yes, and never came back um, that well, actually that's about the only story I had gotten from you know from Lou's supposedly Lou's mouth mm-hmm. the other The other story I had gotten was that my sister was you know walking to to Taco Bell or hitchhiking. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure um back in the eighties, they did hitchhike quite often, yeah um, and my sister is a real trusting person too, so i I just don't know, but Lou this guy, Lou Franks, he was not very forthcoming with his, you know, his story. I know for a fact, my sister wouldn't have just left in a bathing suit,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, to go pick up her paycheck or, or to go to the airport or anything, but supposedly she left in a her bathing suit and never came back.
0: Right. Um, and in fact, yeah. at some, it was at some point after this trip, your stepfather, whose name is Thomas, we're not going to give his last name, I've had an opportunity to talk to him too. Very helpful, as all of the people I've talked to have been very helpful. He wrote down a lot of notes about what he saw while they were all there. Maybe you can go through some of those notes that he took.
1: Okay. I, I don't have them in front of me, but I will say that uh, from what I remember reading, Tom was saying that Lou's apartment, Lou's in my sister's apartment, or house um, was full of young adults, young male adults. Um, huh. Yeah. And, you know, just there was just a lot of weird stuff. He supposedly knew, told my mom and Tom that he was looking forward to opening a brothel in Nevada. Um, That's right. That's somewhere. true. And, I've seen
0: the notes. Yes.
1: Yep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I I know for a fact he owned a boat. Lou owned a boat. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I just don't know.
0: Right, um, and let's just be clear. Although you were seventeen at the time, you did not go on this trip with them.
1: I wasn't told most of the details till right. way later, only way because later. I asked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And, you did not some go of there I'm with. Still them. finding out
0: yeah you did right. not go you did not go there with them, so you had to get this information secondhand, thirdhand. third hand, and once again, it wasn't until years later, okay, so right. um, you know we have to remember that, but um, in fact, in the notes um once again, I've seen the notes um and the listeners should know that Melissa sent me copies of them um for me to look at that the notes Thomas took. Is that he's under the impression that Lou Frank, that's not even his real name.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's where mystery, mystery comes in. Um, yep. He believes that was one of many aliases. I'm not sure why he thinks that or what, but yeah. Mm, okay. That's what he wrote down. So, uh,
0: okay. And what was the condition of Amanda's possessions at this apartment? What have you found out about that? Um, you know, were okay, they in there? Oh, well, I know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they were in there. They were all in there. They were packed um, and ready to go for my mom to get, to pack. It as, if that, as if he knew my mom was on, on her way, you know, and he packed up her stuff. Um, or else it was packed because she was moving to California, you know, before her yeah. disappearance. Um, and she had two kittens. Um, I In the original notes I had read that the kittens were starving, um, because nobody was taking care of them. And my sister loved animals. Uh, and I apparently this guy had them in a, in a box. Um, they weren't free to run around. They weren't eating. You know, they were starving.
0: Do you know ever what happened know. to those? Did they take the kittens with them? Or do we know whatever happened to no, those kittens?
1: They, I, I, I don't know what happened to the kittens. My mom did take all my sister's stuff, though. But I'm not sure what happened, what, what to make of the kittens. Okay. Um, I don't know. Okay. Um,
0: what have you found out about, uh, any police investigation into this? Was there anything considerable done at all?
1: Uh, I wouldn't say it was considerable. No. Over the years since then, um, every so often my mom will get a phone call from a cold case detective because they have come across some, um, some human remains, you know, that might fit my sister's you know, age or description. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and they request DNA. There's been a few of them that were pretty positive until the DNA came back negative. Um, I've been in contact with a couple of the detectives trying to get information from them. They don't have anything. They haven't had anything. Um, And and they've gone through several different detectives over the years because it's been so long. Of course. Um, And, and they're always cold case detected. so I don't know initially if anything was done because she was an adult at the time. And she's able to go on her own anywhere she pleased without telling anybody. So back then, they, it seemed like they really didn't give adult disappearances much attention. Um, it's changed a lot, but still, mm-hmm. it's still not good enough now.
0: No, it's not. Do you believe uh, they interviewed Lou Frank about Mandy's disappearance? Did they talk to him?
1: You know, that, that's the thing. I'm going to be going to Vegas this next month. Um, I'm trying to get police reports, any type of reports I can, Mm -hmm. um, get my hands on to get those answers. I don't have any clear answers. I can only say I, I was always under the impression that, um, Xavier was interviewed and cleared. Um, I, I don't know about Lou. Um, because for one, we don't even know his name.
0: That's right. So, don't. that's right. You know, that's right.
1: Um, I, there's been some searches done online on our own. Can't find out anything about him. Um, and but I do know that he was described as being older at the time, like maybe late 40s, early 50s. Um, and he was, you know, a, a white guy. But other than that, I don't know anything else. But I plan on going, like I said, going to Vegas
0: and and seeing what I can get get for the Uh, police department. Right. And And, and, Melissa is right. Uh, I, too, have tried to figure out who this Lou Frank guy, and and we spell the name L-E, not L-O-U, but L-E-W. This is, once again, from uh, your stepfather's notes, who wrote it L-E-W instead of L-O-U, and I've talked to him about that, Lou Frank. Um, There are some Lou Franks in the United States, but you'd have a hard time proving that any of them lived in Las Vegas. And we also have to remember, since this was 1986, that if he was in his late 40s, let's say he was 48 um, at the time, which is when I'm going to be on August 1st, it's been 32 years, um, he's going to be 80. He'd be 80 this year. So the odds of him being alive maybe aren't great, but we don't, once again, we don't even know. Uh, his real name. We're not sure if that's his real name or not. And that's what I'm hoping something the listeners uh, can look into for themselves. Um, obviously, your your mother and then we've talked about your stepfather taking all these great notes um, about his impressions, what he heard, what he saw when he was there. But how did this eventually um, fall into your lap doing this and, and everything? And what's, you know, how, how did that happen for you, Melissa?
1: Well, it fell into my lap because I've I've always felt like I've had survivor's guilt. I've felt like I was left and left alone by everybody because when my sister disappeared, my mom, had, she had a nervous breakdown. Um, and once again, I felt like I was on my own, you know, because she shut herself in the room for months. Um, and it fell into my lap because I want answers that I, I've never gotten. Um, it was real hard to pull out anything from my mom because, like I said, she had a nervous breakdown. She shut down. Um, I- I've never gotten any clear answers. I would like to get more of my sister's story, her timeline, names, and it's been so hard. I-, I miss her every day, and I have a son who I'd love to be able to share with my sister and talk to my sister about. And You know, um he wants to know who his aunt is, you know, and I I, I could only give him memories of her as a, a young lady, not who she is today. I want to know these answers. I want to be able to put this to rest or feel like I've done something. Yeah. Um, so it's on my lap you... just because I want to get it done. Yeah.
0: How long have you personally been working on this yourself?
1: Just only for about off and on for a few years. Um mm-hmm. Because it's been hard. Uh, I would always, I would have such a hard time to deal with it. I would, I would break down myself. But something said, you know what? Get over it. Get over it. Do what it takes to get some answers. (laughs) Those tears aren't going to get, get me answers. So I just had to really find strength and and start making phone calls. Um, And then I was led to you by one of my phone calls. Um, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I had reached out. I had reached out to somebody in the Charlie project. Um, I wanted to know if they could air my sister's story on Facebook.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, because I was sitting there, I was going through my Facebook pictures of my sister that I I had put on there and I just wanted more people to know who she was because I, you know, she was such a good person and, and she was really happy to help me. Um, and she was going to put her, air her story or her picture. Um, and then she she eventually emailed me, and, and uh, she led me to you. So yeah. here I am.
0: My good friend, I'll forgive the pun, my good friend Megan Good, who runs the Charlie That's Project right. all by herself. All 10,000 cases run by one young woman uh, by herself. She's a good friend of mine. I like her a lot. Um, I interviewed her. Um, must have been way back in 2016, not long after this program started. And we've been very close. So she does help the program behind the scenes quite a bit. Um, And yes, she did uh, lead you to me. And I'm very fortunate uh, that that happened. And, um, you know, probably the biggest thing that we've between us, we've been able to do is get you in contact with Cammie because you hadn't talked to her, didn't know where she was since what,
1: 1986. Right.
0: You know, and she
1: she moved around so much and you were able to finally help me get that done. And I mm-hmm. had a long conversation, not conversation, but we a long text message. For some mm-hmm. reason, Tammy doesn't have a, a house phone or a cell phone number I can get. But mm-hmm. um, she, she, you know, she filled in some blanks. But but most of all, she really had me feel my sister for for a few hours. I I had a lot of memories to look back on because she brought up a lot of, you know, high school days, things like that. Um, yeah. As far as Mandy and Cammie's time in, in Vegas, she said, you know, they were young, they were partiers, uh, but yet Cammie was a new mom, too, so she really couldn't party and go out and do the things my sister was doing. Um, you know, yeah. she was married and had a baby, so, but it was nice to be able to connect with somebody that was was so close to my sister. It made me feel her presence, you know? Yeah. And um, that's all I want to do is be able to feel her presence again.
0: Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and uh, the the listeners should know that after this interview is completed uh, for this episode, I'm going to talk um, extensively about my conversations with both Xavier because I've gotten to talk to him one-on-one and uh, Cami uh, one-on-one Because they did fill in some blanks, and I didn't think it was fair, being that I gathered the information on my own. I didn't want Melissa to just spout the things that I already told her, so I thought it'd just be easier for me to tell you those things that I learned uh, on my own. I also got to talk to, once again, uh, your stepfather Thomas, and I'm going to relay to the listeners uh, my conversation with him quite a bit, and that should fill in additional blanks uh, as well. Do you have a Facebook page or something uh, set up for uh, Mandy? Anything like that?
1: I don't. I don't. um, I would like to set up a Facebook page. I I don't know how to do it or, you know. Okay. Do I just set it up like my own personal page? I I would love to be able to set up something where people can go and contribute even pictures, any of her friends from school or, you Uh, know.
2: Okay. Um,
1: But as far as... uh, I, that's about it. And you know what What really, all this is so fresh to me, trying to figure out answers and, and working her case. I really don't have a clear plan in place. Um, mm. So any input from, from people would be great. Any kind of direction. Um, that's all I'm looking for is some sure. contacts or, you know, sure. advice, I guess.
0: Sure. And uh, what I'm hoping we get out of this episode is that, Uh, between myself and you and the listeners that we can figure out who this Lou Frank guy is because after Mandy's disappearance, I think Cammy saw him once your, you know, your mother and your stepfather saw him once. And then after that, it doesn't seem like anybody has ever seen him since maybe he lived in that same apartment for the next 30 years. We don't know whether he moved. Uh, He just kind of vanished off the face of the
1: earth right and uh, right, and that's an, that's another thing. I feel like um also the reason i I'm doing this is because i i was off I was mad at everybody in my family for so long because I felt like they didn't do enough um but they ha everybody has their own reasons of how they dealt with stuff, but I feel like things weren't done, and it's so late, you know many, many years later, but I just want some answers, I want something done, you know right, but that's it. that's all I expect, that's all I'm trying to do.
0: Sure. And the reason we're looking for Lou Frank, I mean, he may be a suspect. Maybe he did do something to Mandy. We don't know, but we sure would like to talk to him again and maybe would like to see the kind of life he's led since 1986. That might give us some insight uh, as well, at the very right. least. Um, any last words before we conclude this interview? Awesome.
1: Um, No, I, I'm just real thankful to you and your time and your effort everything that you put into this, I really appreciate it. Whether we get anything done or not, you know, is irrelevant at this this point between you and I. I just, I'm really thankful to you.
0: Oh, Melissa, you're very welcome. And I, and I think a, a thanks should go out to Megan Good as well. I know that, right. uh, you know, she, she's trying to help you, you know, she's trying to help you as well, being that you contacted her first. Uh, I said on a, a recent interview that I did uh, regarding the case, I covered last week that, you know, I like to leave my guests in a better situation than I found them. So uh, of course that's always my goal. And I'm, I'm trying to do that with you as well, even though I know that we're going to know each other okay. for a long time, but um, you know, once the interview is done and all that, I hope they, the, the person is in a better position to seek answers than they were before they met me and, and be un- been on unfound. So I hope you feel that way. Right.
1: I hope yes, you feel- I do. I do.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Thank you. And we're going to continue to be working together. Um, We're going to know each other for a long time, like I said. Um, And I'd just like to thank you for being on this episode of Unfound.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. And that was my interview with Melissa Fravel, sister of Amanda Fravel. I thank her for joining me and all of you on the program. I also need to once again thank Megan Good from charlieproject.org. ...for introducing me to Melissa. This summation is going to be a bit different than what you're used to... ...because we have a lot of information to go over... ...that wasn't exactly covered in the interview. Why? Because I had a chance to speak to three important people... ...one-on-one during my fact-gathering mission for this episode. All of what I'm going to say is what I've already told Melissa. However, I thought it would be somewhat awkward for me to tell her the information... ...than have her tell you what I learned. So Melissa supported the idea that I just give you what I learned firsthand. And I thank her for that. The three people I spoke to over the last three months are Xavier, Mandy's boyfriend, then ex-boyfriend, Cammy, Mandy's friend who she first lived with when she moved to Las Vegas, and Tom, Mandy's stepfather who had a chance to meet Lou Frank and took extensive important notes at the time. Between all three, I spent about seven hours talking to them to hear what they remembered. In doing so, I learned some new information from Melissa, but I also cleared up some misinformation that has accumulated since 1986. We'll start with Xavier first. We will not be using his last name for this discussion. Melissa found him on Facebook and spoke to him once, I think. Then, when she and I were introduced, she thought it would be a good idea for me to talk to him since I have a lot of experience asking questions about disappearances. Frankly, I found Xavier to be very forthcoming. He answered all of my questions and we had a very good conversation. Actually, we had two good conversations, then a series of messages back and forth. However, and I think he understands this, until Mandy has found any man in her life is going to be a person of interest, even over 30 years later. And I don't think there's anything I've discovered that will change that today. However, once again, I found Xavier to be forthcoming. So here's what he had to say. He met Mandy through a guy he worked with. He called Mandy his best friend. However, his opinion was that Mandy was not doing well in Las Vegas. In fact, he thought it would be better for her if she moved back to California. This is why he says he broke up with her. Because as long as they were dating... He believed she would stay in Las Vegas, which he didn't think was the best thing for her. He surprisingly did not know that for the last couple months before Mandy disappeared, that she was living with a man. Because of that, Xavier never met Lou Frank. How Xavier didn't know, or why didn't Mandy tell him? Well, we're going to have to speculate on that. Xavier didn't find out about Lou Frank until after Mandy disappeared. The only thing Xavier did say that could be connected to Lou Frank was that Mandy called him from Lake Mead one time. She said she was with a friend of hers who had a boat. Well, Lou Frank had a boat. We'll get to that later. What Xavier remembers about June 13th, 1986, Mandy was supposed to come over that evening. He said she said something about having to do something with one of her cats. Take it to the vet. He's not sure now but that she would be coming over because she was going to California the next day. Normally, Xavier would have picked her up, but at that time, his car wasn't running. She said not to worry about it. Mandy said she'd find a way over. Xavier wasn't sure what that meant. Bus, taxi, hitchhike, he didn't know. As we know, Mandy never showed up. Xavier thought she blew him off, or found something else to do, got called into work or whatever. So he admits that he waited for a while, then decided to hang out with some other young woman he knew when Mandy didn't show up. After that, Xavier didn't know Mandy was missing until two weeks later. I think he found out when Mandy's mother finally called him. I'm guessing Xavier didn't know Mandy's mother and others came to Las Vegas during those two weeks. In the meantime, Xavier thought Mandy was in California and was maybe even going to stay there. Xavier says he was never questioned by the police. He also never met Cammie during this time or any other time before or after, despite Mandy living with Cammie at the time Xavier and Mandy met. Next, I'll talk about Cammie. She is a person Melissa had been trying to find for a while. I was able to track down Cammie due to my knowledge that Clark County, Nevada has its marriage records online for free. From there, I was able to find out what her married name was. From there, using all free services, I found her. Cammie knows all this. I told her that when we talked a few weeks ago. Since then, Melissa and Cammie have communicated with each other. I think this is the first time Cammie has talked to anyone in Mandy's family since 1986. So I was very happy to make that happen. And finding Cammie certainly cleared some things up. Like Xavier, I found Cammie to be very forthcoming and honest and she backed up quite a bit of what Xavier already told me. For example, Cammy also said she and Xavier never met, despite Mandy living with Cammy when Xavier started dating Mandy, although Cammy was not sure how Xavier and Mandy met. Cammy remembered Mandy moving in with her and her husband and her newborn in late October or early November 1985. After about a month, Mandy got her own place on Boulder Highway, I don't have in my notes whether Cammy ever visited that location. Cammy said it was hard to stay in touch with Mandy since Cammie was a new mother, so they didn't see each other often after Mandy moved out. Cammy also never went over to Mandy's when she moved in with Lou Frank. However, what Cammie remembered was that Mandy met Lou Frank through an ad he placed in the paper looking for a roommate slash housemaid. Cammy did not meet Lou Frank until Mandy disappeared. Cammy and her husband went over to the apartment two days after Mandy disappeared because Mandy's mother called telling Cammy that Mandy did not catch the flight the day before. Cammy said when she and her husband got there, Lou Frank was there and let them right in. Much of Mandy's stuff was packed near the front door. The rest of it was in her room. Cammie says Lou Frank creeped her out. At the time, she thought he was in his 50s. But in retrospect, since everybody looks old when you're 19... He may have only been in his 40s. Just your average white guy, Cammie said. No distinguishing characteristics. The weird part, and this backs up Xavier's story, is that while they were talking to Lou Frank about Mandy, he, right in the middle of the conversation, brought up his boat. I believe this explains who Mandy was with out at Lake Mead when she called Xavier. Lou Frank told Cammie, Mandy left the apartment to go get her check. And then she was headed to her boyfriend's, thus backing up what Xavier said. So in that, Lou Frank told the truth. However, Lou Frank also said Mandy left the apartment wearing a bathing suit. So there's that. And he said Mandy was hitchhiking. Cammie disputes this because she believes Mandy would have never have hitchhiked due to a very dangerous situation they got into while thumbing for a ride in California before they moved to Las Vegas. One of the major points, and I'm still not sure if it was Cammie who learned this first, or Tom, Mandy's stepfather, but at some point Lou Frank said something about wanting to move to Elko, Nevada to open a brothel. Prostitution was legal in that county, and still is. Once again, he brought this up during a conversation about Mandy disappearing. This is the only time Cammie met Lou Frank. Never saw him again, he never contacted her, she never went back over there nothing cammy however did suspect that lou frank might have done something to mandy cammy believes the police did speak to lou frank so his name and address should be somewhere in their files here though is a major sticking point between cammy's story and everybody else's she knew about mandy leaving that saturday june 14th however cammy does not believe mandy was heading back to california Given all the turmoil Mandy experienced there, Cammie found it hard to believe she'd go back for any length of time. Instead, in Cammie's mind, she seems to remember Mandy talking about going to Canada to see some musician. Since Xavier was a musician at the time, I asked him about this. He says as far as he can remember, neither he nor Mandy knew of any musicians in Canada at that time. So, I'm not sure what to make of that but Cammy insists she never believed Mandy was flying back to California. It very well could be that Mandy didn't want to tell Cammy because Mandy felt guilty about going to California. Or maybe Mandy thought Cammie would remind her a little too vividly of the family problems Mandy had there. But I really have no idea. The last person I spoke to was Mandy's stepfather, Tom. I actually talked to him last week, Then I spoke to him a few days ago to cover a couple more things. Back at that time, after going to Las Vegas with Mandy's mother, he sat down and wrote out everything he could remember. Melissa has those notes. She sent copies to me. I cannot tell you how important they have been. And I would recommend to any family, if you have a disappearance happen to you, take notes. Make a journal, like Julie Mollahan did in her husband's disappearance. It's so important. Here's what Tom told me. A week after Mandy disappeared, he and Mandy's mother went to Las Vegas. However, they didn't go to the apartment first. They started by posting flyers all around the area where Mandy lived. And to hear Tom tell it, while they were at a 7-Eleven near Mandy's apartment, a man strolls up, points at one of the flyers, and says, I know that girl. She was my roommate. Who was the man? Lou Frank. Yes, really. What a coincidence. He introduces himself and invites them over to the apartment. So they follow him. Unfortunately, as of the recording of this episode, we are not sure which apartment complex off of Charleston it was. I believe, though, we will eventually figure that out. So they went to the apartment. Like Cammy explained... Mandy's stuff was near the front door just like it had been. Lou Frank gave Tom and Mandy's mother the same story that he gave Cammie, that Mandy left to go get her paycheck and never came back. Also like Cammie, Tom says Lou Frank creeped out both himself and Mandy's mother. Once again, as I've stated before, we are still not sure how the Elko brothel stuff came up. It either came up with Cammie or this day when Tom was there. Tom also remembered something in a conversation that Mandy had with her mother before she disappeared, that Mandy said she was working from home because her roommate had a mail order business, so this would have been Lou Frank. However, Tom didn't remember any mail order stuff being in the apartment when he was there. Cammie didn't remember it either. Tom also didn't remember anything about Mandy's cats that she left behind. However, there is a story out there that the cats were starving when someone went over to Mandy's after she disappeared. But I'm not sure if that story comes from Cammy or Tom. Before Tom and Mandy's mother went back to California, they rode by the apartment one more time. What they saw were a bunch of young people, much younger than Lou Frank, hanging out at his place on the porch. Tom says there were at least 10 of them. Now in 2018... As Tom thinks back to seeing all those young people at Lou Frank's, Tom thinks about that brothel statement. However, we are still not sure if Lou Frank made that comment to Tom directly, or if Tom found out about it from Cammy. You should know, Cammy does not remember Lou Frank making any kind of statement like that to her. The most important point about Tom's interaction with Lou Frank, for some reason, Tom got the idea that Lou Frank wasn't the guy's real name. It is also Tom who decided on his paperwork to spell Lou, L-E-W, and not L-O-U, something that I would do. He can't remember why he did that specifically. Tom had the idea that the guy's name could be Frank Lewis, or even something totally different. Another important point. During Tom's conversation with Lou Frank, Lou said he was originally from the state of Georgia. I asked Tom if he remembered Lou having a southern accent of any kind. Tom said he didn't remember that, and I do realize that people can live in the state of Georgia and not have a southern accent. One final point about my conversation with Tom. He actually got to see Lou Frank's boat. I do not know how this happened. I don't remember him telling me that. But he said it was fairly nice. It wasn't just some ski boat. It actually had like a cabin where you could go down underneath and the door would shut behind you. And we have to remember, Lou Frank was living in an apartment. And that was everything I could gather from Xavier, Cammie, and Tom. I continue to be open to any further conversations with them, and I thank them for being so forthcoming with me. The main concern here, though, is Lou Frank. Who is he? I looked for him in the Clark County marriage records. Nothing, and I used all variations of Lou and Lewis. Nothing. I looked for him on Nevada's voter rolls. Nothing, once again, using all variations. I looked for him on all the free sites that I use to track people down. Yes, there are Lou Franks, but they've never seemingly lived in Las Vegas, and they're the wrong age. So I'm going to list everything I've been able to gather about him. Now you should know, I have another piece of information that would be helpful But I can't release it in as public a form as this because that could get unfound in quite a bit of trouble. What is that piece of information? I actually have the phone number Lou Frank was using in 1986. I got it from Tom's notes. The problem is that that phone number is in use in Vegas right now. And I don't want the woman who has the number to get 20,000 phone calls asking about Lou Frank. So I will release the number to those of you who are really really, really bent on helping Melissa track Lou Frank down. Maybe you can figure out what to do with the number. Maybe you have a connection with the phone company in Nevada. Whatever. But if you just want it because you want it, I'm not going to give it to you. Sorry. So here's what we know about Lou Frank. His name is probably an alias. He is a nondescript white guy who was in his late 40s in 1986 so he would be in his late 70s now. In early 1986, he placed an ad in the Las Vegas Review Journal looking for a roommate slash housemaid. Maybe one of you can track down the ad through microfiche or something. He was really into boating. Tom actually saw the boat and said it was very nice. Had a cabin and everything, but the guy was living in an apartment. So go figure. Lou Frank said he was from Georgia. He said he wanted to move to Elko, Nevada and start a brothel. He was friends with many people half his age. That could be harmless, or it could be something X-rated. He lived in an apartment complex on East Charleston Boulevard near a 7-Eleven. There is currently a 7-Eleven at Charleston and 10th Street, and there used to be one at Charleston and 15th Street. But since Las Vegas has expanded so much since 1986, I'm going to guess there were some other 7-Eleven locations on East Charleston that don't exist anymore. Also regarding the location of this apartment complex, Tom seems to remember that it was between Las Vegas Boulevard and Fremont Street slash Boulder Highway. Lou Frank's statement to both Cammie and Tom is that Mandy left the apartment wearing a bathing suit, that she was going to Taco Bell and then to her boyfriends. This checks out with what Xavier said. However, we don't know the statement Lou Frank made to the police, and it is believed that Metro did interview him at the time of Mandy's disappearance. Finally, in a conversation Mandy had with her mother, she said that Lou Frank ran a mail-order business. Having said all that, I do get a certain feeling about this case, and my suspicion is this. If all of this information is true, I believe that Lou Frank was a pimp and I think that Mandy got suckered into doing sex work for him. You've seen her. Attractive young woman. You combine that with an older guy looking for a roommate slash housemaid, and suddenly Mandy is answering a phone for his mail order business, not to mention the brothel comment, I think we have a pretty good idea of what was going on there. It would also explain why Mandy never told Xavier she was living with a guy. And it also might explain why all of those young people were hanging out at Lou Frank's as well. So, can we solve this ultimate puzzle? Now, I give you my interview with Stephen Huba from the Tribune Review, where we talk about his upcoming article concerning the disappearance of Robert Allison from Pittsburgh in 1994. I'm so happy to have back on the program... From the Tribune Review in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, TribLive.com, the writer-reporter, Stephen Huba. Steve, welcome back to Unfound.
3: Thanks, Ed. It's always good to be with you.
0: We have another article coming out this Sunday, two days from now, and it is the disappearance of Robert Allison from Pittsburgh. was living in Waynesburg, but disappeared in downtown Pittsburgh. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about uh, what you did for this article and a little bit about the disappearance?
3: Okay. Yeah, I talked to um, Robert Allison's wife, um, who was his estranged wife at the time of his disappearance, in December of 1994. So we're talking about nearly 24 years ago. Right. Right and um she um she the thing about this case is he was um 42 at the time so he'd be about 65 now and um she heard about his disappearance second hand they had gotten married in 1990 and then um separated and were estranged by the time of his disappearance mm-hmm. in nineteen ninety four um so she um she heard about his disappearance she she can't quite remember, but it was either from a family member or a friend so um even her knowledge about this case is limited um, and she very much wants to know what happened to him mm-hmm. um you know she Despite some personal issues, she spoke very highly of him, uh, of his sense of humor and um, his intelligence, and uh, that she said that they had met on a blind date, and they especially bonded over their mutual love of West Virginia Mountaineer football. Oh. So they were both big fans, and um, she said that he, being from West Virginia, he worked uh In the coal mining industry, and then after they separated, he moved up to Greene County, Pennsylvania, which is in the extreme south uh, southwestern tip of Pennsylvania. Sure. Like you said, Waynesburg,
0: Mm -hmm.
3: Um, and he was going to work in Pittsburgh for a towboat operator on the Ohio River. And um, it was while leaving his, this towboat operator uh, one day in December that um, he was last seen. Hmm. So,
0: Do you know um, if, uh, were you able to fit, find out if he left with anybody or by himself? I mean, did he drive to work that day or what did you find out regarding any of that?
3: Um, the best I can tell is that he left on his own, that he left on foot, that he that he had not driven to work, but that he had gotten a ride. Um, but that he had left on foot and told somebody, a fellow employee, that he was going to a bar in Pittsburgh's West End neighborhood, um, which is right there on the river. Um and that was the last time he was seen and all of his belongings apparently were left on the tow boat. And, um, so the Pittsburgh state police investigated and put out information about him. Um, but their investigation went cold and they've pretty much exhausted all their leads. Mm Mm-hmm. Years ago, you know.
0: Years ago, right, right. This is so, a pretty. This is a pretty cold case from my understanding.
3: Yeah, and um, this is uh, one of the first ones I've done involving an adult male. Uh, most of the other ones I've done have involved children. That's true. Um, especially female children.
0: Yeah, that's true. I just realized that myself. That's interesting you say that I didn't realize that.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's outside of maybe a few other things. That's that's pretty much the long and short of it. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you know? Uh, once again, since the wife, you know, kind of find out about found out about this secondhand, maybe we should just stay for the record because uh, we have to. We don't believe that she is involved in any way in his disappearance. She is. That's totally, correct. Yeah, you know, even if they were estranged, and we know sometimes things can happen between couples and husbands making wives disappear. We do not believe that that is a case in this. She certainly is not involved and she wants to know uh what happened because they have a daughter together and the daughter wants to know.
3: Right. And um she was um about maybe she she was just around the age when you start to walk. So not quite an infant, but, you know, um but she but she was very young when her father disappeared. So she didn't. She didn't really know him um, at all, and um, so yeah, very, very mysterious mm-hmm. thing.
0: So he just seems like uh, he kind of walked off. Um, no chance, maybe that he fell into the river or anything like that. I mean, is that a possibility? Once again, from what well, you, she, what she has said, what you've talked about with her, is any any possibility of that? I mean, that's a dangerous job working out in the river.
3: Yeah, and she 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 hinted at that, and she mentioned that that was kind of a suspicion of hers, or at least that it was something that was mentioned to her initially that he had fallen off the barge, but then after that, the line was no, he left by walking on foot. Huh. Um, so. Um, and she, and she never, she never talked to the company, um, as far as I, is my understanding. Okay. Um, Uh, and the company, the company now is, it still operates there, but it operates under a different name and a different owner. Right. And there's nobody there who was even working there back in the nineties. Right. Or who or, or who knew Robert Allison. So that's that's a line of inquiry that hasn't really uh yielded anything.
0: That's a so tough one. Are, it's a tough one. You know, yeah, it it's a tough one. And um especially when you have a company once like you said it's twenty some years on, companies get sold. Boys of course twenty yeah, some years ago, a lot of people are gonna be retired by now. Hard to find these yeah. people.
3: Yeah, it's changed owners, as far as I could tell, at least twice since then. And um, and even if it still operated under the same owner, there, there's nobody there who worked there back when Robert Allison was working there or who, or who knew him.
0: Right. And we have to remember, if he did go into the water, I mean, being that it happened in December, that water is going to be very cold and uh yeah. he wouldn't survive in it for a very long time if it was an accident or something so
3: yeah that's right cuz this this was in December
0: December just a few days before Christmas okay so it sounds like uh a, a case that needs uh another a, a bit of a spotlight put on it again and that's what you're going to do uh, this sunday at triblive right. triblive.com um mm-hmm. anything else uh you want to talk about anything you have to say about this case uh it probably had to be a little tough talking to her. Um I, I you know, I had originally contacted her through their daughter and I think that the mother was a little surprised to even hear that somebody was even interested in, in this after so many years because I don't think she's been. Uh-huh. You know, this is one of those cases that I don't think the Trib nor the Post Gazette or anybody else has covered for quite a long time, if ever.
3: Yeah, the only news coverage I could find uh, was a small Story that ran in a newspaper about a year after the disappearance
2: oh, and know. um
3: it didn't really shed a whole lot whole lot of light on the situation, even yeah. back then, yeah, so yeah, and with the passage of so many years the the whole thing has gotten even murkier <laughs> so
0: right that's right, and that and that happens, Steve, you know that uh when you don't have a lot of facts it if people do know about it, they start, you know, creating rumors and things through the grapevine. And sometimes after all these years, it's hard to figure out what is true and what isn't. It's difficult.
3: Yeah. and But, but you know, people should know that he was originally from Cameron, West Virginia, which is in Marshall County, which is in the northern panhandle of mm-hmm. West Virginia. If that helps okay. orient, orient you toward his um, origins a little bit. Okay. And um, and then he ended up uh, moving to Waynesburg and working out of Pittsburgh. Right. And I believe, according to his age, he would have graduated from high school about 1970.
0: Yeah. And, and just to be clear, this would be a situation, maybe for people who aren't from the Pittsburgh area, this would be a disappearance that basically happened right down in downtown Pittsburgh, where the, the rivers meet somewhere in that area.
3: Right. The west end is is right there on the river, right, basically across across the Ohio River from downtown. Okay.
0: All right. Well, great work, Steve. Uh, I'm going to be looking forward on Sunday. I know the listeners will be doing that as well, and I'll be making sure I'll be linking to it and everything on Facebook and elsewhere. And thanks for the good work.
3: Okay. Thank you for your time as always, Ed.
0: All right, Steve. Talk to you next month. And that's the program. If you found it informative, please go to the app that you use to listen to Unfound and give this podcast a great review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel and you've been listening to Unfound.